0: for listening to our podcast recorded live at Gateway Church, Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Brilliant. It's great to be here. Thank you so much. Um, and uh, at the risk of sounding like someone's grandmother at Christmas, I just want to say, my, haven't you grown? <laughs> it's uh, great to be here and just see the place packed out and uh, just so exciting what God's doing in terms of you meeting in two venues. I'm so grateful that you've just met in one today, so I only have to to uh, to do it once, but it's just such a, a wonderful opportunity. For those of you that don't know me, um, as Pete said, my name's Andy, and uh, I lead the eldership team of Lifespring Church in Horsham, and uh, I've had for several years now just a privilege of getting to know you, the church, getting to know uh, the eldership team. It's been wonderful to be involved in bringing Pete and Barney uh, into eldership, and it's just been such a privilege. And, um, you know, it's it's so much more than just kind of serving a church apostolically. It's that sense of meeting with friends. It's that, that sense of being on a journey together. And, you know, I do consider myself friends of Graham and Richard and Barney and Pete, it's, it's been a, a, a labour of love. It's been something that's been so enjoyable to do. We're, we're friends first. And that's what I would say has been a kind of distinguishing factor of our journey together, is, is that we've been friends first. And uh, it's been wonderful to get to know them and their wives and their families, and many of you too. And, uh, you know, this is what church is supposed to be like. You know, friends enjoying God together. You know, that is what church is like. That's what we should be like, just friends, just on that mission with him together. And uh, as as I say, it's it's never been a hardship to come uh, and serve you. It's never been a pain uh, to be here with you, if I exclude the M20 from that statement. Um, It's never been a hardship to be with you. Um, Getting to you is another story, but it's never been a hardship to be with you. And uh, this, this morning is a wonderful morning. It's great to be with you. But I'm looking this morning to implement what you would have heard me talk about at your last family night. And I used a phrase at the family night that encapsulated everything I think we're doing today. And that phrase was the reconfiguration of eldership. Um, and that is what I'm going to sort of talk around and look at. And uh, we're in this wonderful situation that I believe not only is godly, but is also prophetic. And I want you to understand the prophetic nature of what is going on here. We're in the situation where one generation raises and releases the next. And uh, where we build on the work of the previous generation, we don't come back and start again. And so often, actually, in church life, what we see is a a reenactment, almost, of the story of the Book of Kings. If you look at the story of the Book of Kings, now, I'm not relating to the error that went on there, but I'm, I'm relating to the principle. Now, if I could summarise the Book of Kings really quickly for you, good king, bad king, good king, bad king, good king, bad king. Okay, that's roughly the story of kings. So if you haven't read it, no need to, no, don't, please do read it, but... That is, in essence, the story of kings. And what we we see there is is that each king was unable to train the next generation to continue from where they finished. And so what you see is this this cycle of success and failure, success and failure, success and failure, rather than that wonderful opportunity to, to build success to such a point where the next generation, your ceiling, becomes their floor. And that's why I believe what we are seeing today is prophetic. And we, we see this um, in the book of Kings, how actually the enemy uses to hold the, the people of, of God back. And I believe it still happens today in many cases where we're unable to build Uh, on successive generations. Now, if you want to take a look at uh, Bethel Church in Redding, California, now you may have views on that one way or the other. You may have views about their theology and all of that kind of good stuff. And I'm not going there. But what you cannot deny is that they have learned how to build on successive generations. The current pastor of that church is a seventh generation pastor, where it's gone from father to son. And that isn't nepotism, that is a wonderful, godly thing of one generation building on the platform of the next. And that is why I believe they're so, if I can use the word successful. Have I just. Oh, no. Um, they've, they've learned how to build uh, from one successive generation to the next. And that's what I'm looking at here. That's what I see Sue and Graham uh, having done. They've pioneered a church, they've developed both a son and a successor to lead this team and take it on to its next season, into all that God has for you um, and for them. And so at the risk of repeating myself, um, which I know I have over the last few family nights, I want us to be absolutely convinced, not simply in our minds but in our hearts, that leadership is godly, it's biblical, And it's necessary for us in church so we can be all that Father God has destined for us as His family here on earth. In the ESV in the New Testament, the word leader only appears twice once in reference to Jesus Himself in Acts 5 31, and once Jesus uses the word in Luke 22, verse 26. Which says this, let the greatest among you become as the youngest and the leader as one who serves. Now what that tells us is two things. One is is it gives us a great model for the modus operandi of any leader in the church. Okay, We're not to lord it over people if you read that whole passage. We're not to lord it over anyone but we are to serve. So that's the first thing that verse tells us. But actually what that verse also tells us is is Jesus believed in and understood in the need for leaders in the church. He says, and the leader as one who serves. If he didn't believe in leaders, he couldn't have said that. And so he gives us a clear indication that Jesus believed in the need for leadership in the church. He expects there to be leaders in the church, and therefore he gives a great explanation of how those leaders are to behave, they are to serve. And throughout the New Testament, we, we see this. We see um, the term elders, which becomes synonymous with those leaders in the church, those leaders who serve and time doesn't allow me to kind of go into an in-depth study. But if you look at the New Testament, you'll see the only context in which there's leadership is together in a team. It's, it's plural. There are teams of elders, sometimes called the council of elders, if you look in 1 Timothy four fourteen, And I'm, I'm trusting that that's not new news to anybody. Um, You know, we believe the church is led by a team of elders, not one man. There's safety in a team. There's accountability in a team. And this team is mutually submitted to one another. This team has been recognised by apostolic men who've laid hands on them and commissioned them to serve in the church together. A team, by definition, must have both a leader and more than one person. That's a team. And the elders, including the lead elder, are equally responsible for leading the church. And they are equally accountable before God as they do so. Each elder will bring a unique contribution of experience and gifting to what the rest of the team gladly prefer and defer to. That means that actually if you recognise that someone else is is particularly gifted in a particular area, then you defer to that gift, you defer to that that wisdom. As a team, they release one another to lead in specific circumstances based on gifting rather than age or position. It's based on gifting. Now the elders lead the church with the help of their wives, ministry team leaders and other trusted individuals, but the buck always stops with the elders. The church elders are responsible for the oversight of the church. Their primary role is to set biblical vision and direction while seeking to release the church to fulfil its unique purposes in God. That's you. That's what they're charged with. Their desire, and I can assure you of this because I know them, is for every member to become a mature disciple of Jesus by learning and growing in loving God, loving the church, loving the town, and loving the nations. Now, having said all of that, and knowing that the eldership team lead the church together, every team needs a leader. We call that individual the lead elder, could be called a senior pastor, doesn't really much matter, Um, but clearly there is someone who leads and he has a special calling, an anointing and a gifting to draw out the best from the other elders, to envision them, to release them into God's given call on their lives and to lead the church with them. And so a lead elder is not more of an elder than the other elders. Okay, you really need to understand that. He's especially gifted and called and anointed to lead the team that leads the church. Okay, so a lead elder leads the team who together lead the church. And it's that role of lead elder that we're going to be commissioning Barney for today. Now, I understand that you're in a sermon series on Acts. Is that right? Yes. Good. Four of you are on it, which is great. Um, and so I'm sure you'll recognize some of the references I'm going to use in a moment that support the need for a leader of a team. So you'll remember the story of Pentecost. I trust you have got past Acts 2. Yeah, good. Okay, so the story of Pentecost. Peter it would seem in Acts 2, took the position of leading the disciples. He took a a leadership position, not simply with them, but actually with the 120 in the upper room. And we'll read, if you've got your Bibles with you, Acts 2, verses 14 to 15. You've got your Bibles, that's great. Someone's got one on a phone over there, that's okay. Pete's got his Bible, Richard's got his scrolls, so it's, uh... <laughs> however you've got them, please feel free to, <laughs> sorry, Richard. <laughs> I couldn't help myself, <laughs> <It> was... <laughs> the devil made me do it, no, right, okay, Acts 2, 14 to 15, but Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judah and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you, and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. And there we read that Peter spoke for the other 11 disciples. He took a lead in that team. He led them in the explanation of what the Holy Spirit was doing. Now, if you turn with me to Acts 15, 13 to 21... you'll see that James clearly demonstrated a position of the team leader in the discussions that we refer to as the Council of Jerusalem, where he leads the team to a clear point of agreement. Acts 15, verse 13. And after they finished speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Okay, so he's let everybody talk, he's let everybody chat, The debates happened, and now he calls them to all, and he says, listen to me. And then there's a little bit of talk, but then we go to Acts 15, verse 19. If you jump down, it says this, Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and for what has been strangled, and from blood. For from ancient generos- generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every, every Sabbath in the synagogues. And it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to, to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called whatever, the, how you ever say that, and Silas, leading men amongst the brothers. Now clearly what we see here is James is in a position of leading the team of elders and that together they then led the church in Jerusalem. Because he says, it's my judgment. So he clearly brings the team to a point of decision. And together they then led the church to that agreement that we read in verse 22. Because it says, then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church. So you get James calling the team to order, bringing them to a point of decision, and then you get this decision together, the whole uh, elders and apostles together, then leading the whole church to then send those disciples out. So it's a wonderful example of both a team leading together while the team itself is being led. Okay, Do you understand what I'm saying? So there's lots of other examples as well. Timothy, you'll know in Timothy 1 and verse 3, was sent to lead the eldership team in Ephesus. And Paul urges him to lead the team of elders, giving him criteria for how he's supposed to do that. Now Timothy must have had authority in the team of elders because he's, he's told that he's uh, to help them not teach a skewed doctrine or speculative theology. So clearly he has, a, he has a, a point of responsibility within that eldership team. So whilst the word leader isn't used extensively in the New Testament, there is clear examples of teams of elders leading the church and that team of elders clearly having a leader. Now... What I want to do for the rest of my, my time, really, is to speak to Barney. And you're welcome to listen in, if that's all right. Um, as he takes on the lead of this amazing eldership team. And for me to be able to charge him to lead well. And that's what today is all about. It's me actually giving this man a charge to lead well. So let's turn to the book of Joshua and chapter 1 makes me, takes me back to when I was a kid. Do you remember sword drill? You ever had that? Get your Bible out and who could get to the passage first. There we go. So, I'm just showing you how old I am. So, whilst you're finding that passage, Joshua, chapter 1, in your Bibles, I want to remind us that pattern of leadership in the Old Testament is different to that in the New Testament. And here we read in Joshua 1, uh, the people of God are led by a single man whom the Holy Spirit comes on and who hears from God and thus leads the people. That's the Old Testament model. In the New Testament, as we've already learned, that the people of God, the church, are led by a team of men called elders, one of whom is gifted to lead the team. But he doesn't lead the church per se. He leads the team that leads the church. Now, that said, there's a lot we can learn from the Old Testament and we can draw much from the leadership examples whilst remembering now the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh. So every leader can hear God and you're all leaders, by the way. So we can all hear God. So we need to recognise that difference. Um, And it's actually the job of the, the lead elder to facilitate what God's saying, to draw the team together around what is God saying as they weigh and test the word of God together. And so the team can then lead the church into what God is saying. So with that in mind, let's read Joshua uh, verses 1 to 18. I'll skip a couple of verses for the sake of time, but I'm not omitting anything fundamental to the passage. So Barney, I'm going to direct this at you first and foremost. Joshua 1. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over the Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that your sole of your foot will tread, I have given to you just as I promised Moses. Now to verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, prepare your provisions For within three days you are to pass over this Jordan and go into and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And the Reubenites and Gadites and half the tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives and your little ones and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valour amongst you shall pass over armed before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take provisions of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and you shall possess it. And the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan towards the sunrise. And they answered Joshua, all that you have commanded us we will do. Wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. It's a great passage, one I'm sure we're all very familiar with. Now, whilst I'm delighted to say that Graham is not dead, as Moses was, uh, just in case anyone was concerned or worried... um, There are a number, actually, of similarities in this passage. Um, Did you notice that all of the promises that God had given to Moses were carried over into Joshua's leadership? Verse 3, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised Moses. So, Barney, I want to say that Graham, your dad, has left you an inheritance. That's what fathers do. Yeah, no, it's not that kind of inheritance, mate. (laughs) Fathers work hard. They fight and win battles to leave an inheritance for their sons so the sons don't have to fight. You don't have to fight for an inheritance. You receive an inheritance for free. And as a son, both spiritually and biologically, you you inherit the spoils of your father's hard-fought battles. And, Graham, I want to honour you and Sue for the fights that you fought. I really do. And so just as Joshua inherited the promises of God to Moses and the people of Israel, so you inherit the promises God's given to your mum and dad uh, and to this church. And the Lord would say to you, just as I promised them, now I promise you. So you have now this commission to lead the team Barney and, and, and the church together with the elders into all that God has promised them. Because they too, as a people, have an inheritance. You, as the church, have an inheritance that God has promised you. Joshua 1 verse 6, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. So you are to lead into promise. That was the first point, the promises of God. The next one is you are to lead Barney into inheritance. For you shall cause, that passage says, the people to inherit the land. So your role as you lead the team is to bring these people into their inheritance. The next way you are to lead, because this is a big call to lead the team, it's a high calling, it'll be challenging, and that's why Joshua is constantly reminded to be strong and courageous. You know, you don't need to be strong and courageous if it's going to be a doddle. You only need to be strong and courageous if it's going to be difficult. So the very fact that six or seven times in this passage, Joshua is reminded to be strong and courageous, commanded even to be strong and courageous, suggests to me that you'll have to dig deep sometimes i remind you of Psalm 23, verse 4, a passage that has meant a lot to me over the years. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. For you are with me. God is with you. You can be strong and courageous because he is with you. And just as God said to Joshua, so he now says to you, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. And that's God's promise to you, mate, as you you lead this team. I'll tell you that because there'll be times when you need to know it. We're not strong and courageous because we're fearless. We're strong and courageous because God is with us. Verse 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And then we read verses 16 to 18. This sense that of being strong and courageous is is that the people of God want you and they want this team to be strong and courageous, don't you? That's what we read in this, this passage. And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do. Wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. And so now you see this amazing thing where where the people of God are now calling Joshua to be strong and courageous. And I would encourage you to do that. When things are tough, when things are difficult, encourage your elders to be strong and courageous. Because the people want, I believe, us to lead with strength and courage These people were excited about the future. They knew they were going to cross into the promised land. And they needed their leaders to lead with strength and conviction and courage. Um, And actually, we need strength and courage not only to lead when everybody's excited about where we're going, but we definitely need it when people are less excited. Let's put it that way. It's funny, actually, what people say when they're not really thinking about it. I don't know if you noticed in this passage, I couldn't help it when I was looking, when they said, just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we obey you. Now, I'm not sure that's quite as positive as it first sounds, um, because I don't know what your Bible says if you look at Numbers 14, but at the top of it, mine says, the people rebel against Moses. Um, so I'm not quite sure what they're saying. Just as we have obeyed Moses, we, have obeyed, we will obey you. Uh, I'm not really sure that they are saying, maybe they are saying what they're really thinking, it's just not coming across well. Um, you know, Were they saying, well, just, just as we've kind of moaned and complained against him, you can be sure at some point we'll start moaning and complaining against you. Only be strong and courageous. Actually, I don't think they meant to be saying that, but I think prophetically they probably were. There is that sense of, actually, we're not always going to be excited about where you're leading us, but please continue to be strong and courageous. You know, he would need to be strong and courageous with them, but actually sometimes you need to be strong and courageous for them. Next one, for you to think about Barney, is to lead into his presence. And that's a big commission for you, to lead into his presence. Moses was renowned for passionately pursuing the presence of God. Moses was all about the presence. We know the famous passage in Exodus 33 where he says, if your presence don't go with us, then please don't send us up from here. Moses was a man passionate about the presence of God, but he wasn't just passionate about it for himself. He was passionate about it for the people. If we read Exodus 13, sort of 16, it says this, For how shall it be known that I found favour in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? Moses saw that it was the presence of God that actually separated them from all the other peoples. It was the presence of God, if you like, that was their distinctive. And Barney, you're to lead this team and this people into the presence of God, not only for the refreshing and the blessing of the presence of God that it brings, but so actually it becomes your distinctive in this town. See, the presence of God shouldn't separate us from the people in this town. It should cause us to have a distinctive in the town. Not separate from, but distinguish by the presence of God. So, so lead into the presence of God. And I've spoken a lot about what you should lead into, but actually there's also something I want to say that you need to lead from. And you must lead from a place of intimacy and overflow. Moses spoke to God as a man speaks to his friend, we read, face to face. And for you to be strong and courageous, you have to dig deep, deep wells, dig them deep, of personal intimacy with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Your success in leading the eldership and them leading these people into the promises that they have and leading them into an inheritance hinges on you being able to lead from a place of intimacy and overflow. You must only be giving out from the overflow of what God's put in you. Otherwise, you will slowly dry up. If you try and pull it out of your reserves, you'll dry up. So you need to lead from overflow. And it's true for all of us, actually. You know, we must give, we must serve one another, but we should all be giving from the overflow, the overflow of our joy, the overflow of our love, the overflow of our intimacy and times with God. It's food for your soul. Develop an intimacy with the Holy Spirit for your own sake, not because you're ministering on a Sunday. And that's the biggest risk for those of us that are either employed or or elders, sometimes this is that our, our intimacy gets caught up in our job, in our role, in our responsibilities. Actually, we need to learn what it is to just spend time with Jesus because we can, because we love Him. And then your way will be prosperous and your endeavour successful, that passage says. So lead from intimacy and overflow. Now I know I've been directing a lot of that to Barney um, and it's important that I do as he takes on this new responsibility within the eldership team but those principles are true for each of us. Where I've commissioned Barney to lead into promise my request for all of you is to step into your promises as well. What are the promises over your life and how are you stepping into them? I commissioned Barney to lead into inheritance. And so as a church, I'm saying step into your inheritance. Are you living living in the good of your heavenly inheritance? Are you living like a son or are you living like an orphan? I commissioned Barney to lead with courage. And so for each of you, I'd say step into courage. If you had a a simple promise over your life, you wouldn't need courage or God's help. But the weird thing is, I've just got a while, I don't know every promise over every person's life here, but let me take a stab that it's expensive. Because God's not calling you to do something you can do on your own. He's calling you to do something that you're going to need to partner with him on. And so you're going to need Courage. I commissioned Barney to lead into the presence of God. And so my call to you as a church is step into the presence of God. Pursue the presence of God. Are you a person that's living from a place of his presence? Do you long for his presence? When, when you gather together as a church, are you, are you looking to rush in to the presence of God? Or are your worship leaders trying to stir something up in you that should be already on fire? Just putting it out there. I asked Barney to lead from intimacy and overflow. And I would say to you, you need to learn to step out into all that God's calling you to from a place of intimacy and overflow. And so really, before we pray, before we commission and recommission this eldership team and Barney into I'd love us just to worship. Just one more song, can we do that? If The band can, can come up. And I just want you just to take a moment to consider the things I've said, to consider the things I've asked you to think about stepping into so that together we might be all that God has called us to be.